This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 17. Episode 15. This is Writing Excuses, storytelling in the footnotes. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Dan. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Pung. And I'm Howard. And we're talking about footnotes today. Uh, footnotes are something that shows up in a lot of different kinds of writing, mostly academic. Uh, but there are some really wonderful examples where footnotes are themselves used to tell a story in fiction. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Pung, once again, I'm going to throw this to you to kick us off. Why did you suggest this one? And uh, what can we learn about storytelling in footnotes? Uh, well, I think footnotes are a really interesting structure because they are, uh, there's actually two structures for footnotes. Um, and one of them has to do more with giving additional world building and flavor to the text. And the other one has to do more with twists. Uh, so the first uh, way that you can use that you can structure your story around footnotes is to use the footnotes kind of like in an academic setting, like you said, where you are, um, adding little tidbits of extra information, whether it is something about the setting or something about the history of the characters. And it can be a really neat way for you to get in world building that you just love, but it doesn't fit in the main text or, um, you know, maybe there'd be some readers that it might be too much for. Um, and then, uh, on the other hand, you can use footnotes, um, in a way that they form a sort of frame around or actually, I guess it'd be the other way around. You can use footnotes in a way that this, the main body of the text becomes a frame and the real story is actually within the footnotes. And so that's where you reveal some kind of information or like a contradiction or a secret. Uh, where uh, So if you just read the body of the text, that's one story and it's just the surface story. Or if you read the footnotes, you get this whole other layer um, of what the real story really is. My high bar for this <clears throat> is uh, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett's um, Good Omens, where the the there's an opening scene where babies are being swapped around so that we can have the Antichrist be raised by American politicians. Um, but there are three babies there, and uh, and at one point in the narrative, it says, you know, you'd like to we you you'd probably like to think that. You know, baby C uh, is adopted out to a nice house, you know, this surplus baby um, and, you know, grows up to be a, you know, a chubby child who wins prizes for tropical fish or something. Yes, that is a much nicer story than what probably happened to baby C. All right. 70 or 80 pages later, we are introduced and the, the 
the the book the book has rolled forward ten years. We're introduced to a chubby kid who wins prizes for his popular for his tropical fish, and there's a footnote that says, "We liked your version better." <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love it so much because I, they put paid on a joke in the footnote and had me spinning a story. And then they completed the story and told me that mine was better, even though, no, I didn't actually tell that story. They did. But they convinced me that I had told it. It was it was just wonderful. Mm -hmm. Now, in a lot of ways, this uh, st telling stories in the footnotes is uh, a very specific version of the story within a story that we already talked about, where the the story within is takes place in footnotes rather than uh, some other thing. What does the footnote specifically do to change that story within a story? Uh, well, the footnote, uh, so if you have story within a story, it's just existing within the world of the frame. Uh, but with a footnote, depending on who's the writer of the footnotes, you have an opportunity, which is really fun, I think, to talk directly to the reader and kind of break that narrative fourth wall. And um, that can be really exciting for readers to read. And it also, it, you know, it can make them feel more involved and make them more likely to investigate and keep reading your footnotes. It, it can function as an aside, which is the way actors would handle it on stage where they, you know, just step to the side and say something mm -hmm. directly to the audience. There is a caveat that, though, that I have with footnotes, which is that some readers won't read them. Yes. Um, yeah. And... So when you're when you're structuring it, I think that you have to think about whether or not the story will survive without the footnote. In part, I think about this, or if you want to treat them as an aside. And one of the reasons that I think about this is because when I'm doing audiobook narration and run into a story with footnotes, we have to have a long conversation about how those footnotes are handled. Some mm. of the footnotes, some books, the footnotes... Um, provide some interesting supporting detail, but are not central. And those, we often just don't record them. And some of them we treat as an aside, where we uh, just briefly break in and say, oh, and by the way, narrator, they were not happy. Um, and and some of them, I, I haven't done one of these myself, but a, a colleague of mine did this. They recorded all of the footnotes and put them at the end. Oh no, but that's, oh, that is then you wouldn't get them at the right moment though, yeah. right? Because yeah. there's no way to jump in, or could you skip forward in an audiobook and then skip back? I have back no idea how they did that in the end, if it was like, if they were tagged so that you could jump back mm -hmm. and forth. But, uh, but yeah, it is, it's a, yeah, they made them all end notes instead of footnotes. That's, hmm. I, I'm glad you brought this up because uh, I, I was going to mention the, the, difficulty that it brings because with a footnote what you're doing is very specifically playing with the physical form of the novel uh in a way that doesn't necessarily work in audio um the squirrel girl books by shannon hale i adore i find them delightful and hilarious they are filled with footnotes that are mostly just an opportunity for extra jokes uh but now that i am reading one of those to my kids i find that the footnotes <clears throat> excuse me the footnotes, which were so delightful when I was just reading to myself, have suddenly presented me with this challenge that I have to break and I have to find some way of calling out while reading aloud, oh, and there's a footnote that says this. Um, 
And given now that so many books, I mean, a traditionally published novel, uh, more than 40% of its sales today is probably audio. Uh, And so that is something to think about. If you're going to play with something like this that is so intrinsic to the physical book itself, you need to think about, is it worth this creating this problem for 40 plus percent of my readers? Yeah, we have to <clears throat> we have to address this problem pretty soon with the uh, uh, Extreme Dungeon Mastery version two book because Tracy Hickman is uh, getting ready to record the audio book and there are footnotes throughout and uh, and I think what I need to do is front load the decision for Tracy and say when you come across a footnote in the text. You don't read the footnote number. You just pause, take a breath, and say, you know, note seven. Robert Coveyu published an essay about random numbers are much too important to be left to chance. It's a serious article, but the title is ironic. Um, And then take another breath and go back in, like the aside. Um, uh, But I don't know what Tracy's going to be comfortable with because Tracy's the one who has to do the reading. Yeah. I just had this really, uh, as we were all talking about audiobooks, what if, what if, um, depending on who was the writer of the footnotes, you got a different narrator for that. And then they could break in with a really intimate kind of like, you know, here's my aside, here's what I have to tell you about this moment in the story. And then it goes back to the other narrator for the body of the text. I could see something like that maybe being a, a possible way forward. Yeah. And I think some people might like, that would be an interesting thing to try the, the, the way you, uh, structure the narrative breath mm-hmm. when you're going to pause for something is different than if you're reading straight through. And so if mm-hmm. I were told that I was going to be reading it straight through without doing the footnotes and someone else would be doing the footnotes, I wouldn't build those pauses in. Mm, I see. Which which is also, I think, a thing to think about as you're writing them, that anytime you do the, those footnotes, um, you, you are a it's a way of affecting pacing as well because mm-hmm. you're you're causing the reader to jump to the bottom of the page and then jump back up, find their place and continue. So you are breaking that flow. So making sure that you place, you know, the number that causes them to jump in a spot where you want that pause mm-hmm. is uh, the, the number of times where I've like hit a footnote, like I've read to the bottom of the page and then seen that there was a footnote that I missed and had to go back up and figure out where it was. And, and I think that those happen because uh, because the writer has put it in a spot where there there was not a a kind of rhythmic pause on the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Let's take a break from talking about footnotes. Hey, writers. Are you thinking about learning a new language? I think exploring the world, experiencing other cultures, and being able to communicate with people outside your everyday experience lets you create richer, better stories. A great way to do that is with Rosetta Stone, a trusted expert for over 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. They use an immersive technique which leads to fast language acquisition. It's an intuitive process that helps you really learn to speak, listen, and most of all think in the language you're trying to learn. They also feature true accent speech recognition technology that gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a voice coach in your home. Learn at home or on the go with a desktop and mobile app that let you download and access lessons even when you're offline. 
And it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership gives you access to all 25 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Japanese, and, of course, Korean. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Writing Excuses listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And go into something that is completely unrelated, but wonderful and delightful. <laughs> Mary Robinette, tell us about our book of the week. Footnote. The reason we're doing this is because... I have a new book out. Um, so uh, Molly on the Moon is my first picture book. It is the story of a little girl and her family who moved to the moon. And um, she has some conflict with her little brother. They, uh, they've moved to the moon and they can only take one toy each with them. So when there's uh, conflicts over the, over the toy um, you know, as childhood rivalry happens, it, it also happens in a place with uh, very low gravity. Interestingly, although when, when I said, let's talk about my book, because it's out now, um, one of the decisions we had to make was about how to handle discussions about gravity. And um, I attempted to get it into the text itself uh, to explain to three to six-year-olds how lunar gravity works. Uh, and instead, we just did an author note at the end, which is basically a one long giant end note. But I, I am certain that there are going to be parents who are reading it who are still just going to have to create a footnote. And now I'm sitting here going, oh, I should have put a footnote in for the parents. <laughs> the parents could just be like, oh, here's the information I need to give my child right now. And now I'm wondering if there are picture books with footnotes. Hmm. Hmm. I bet someone in comments is going to be telling us all about that and about speedily it. typing right now. <laughs> well, so everybody go out and buy Molly on the Moon by Mary Robinette Kowal. Illustrated by Diana Mayo, and the illustrations are gorgeous. Okay, so good. we've talked about some of the difficulties that footnotes can present, especially with audio and with reading aloud. Let's set that aside. Call that a discussion for another time and talk about all the good things that footnotes can do. Why would we want to include footnotes? What can they add? It was so much fun when we did the Planet Mercenary uh, role-playing game book. The whole book is an in-world artifact, 
in which the printer accidentally left document comments on when exporting to print. <laughs> and there is a 12,000 word short story about a bunch of writers in a horrible situation trying to get a book out the door. And it has corporate politics and murder and, and kittens and all kinds of things in it. And Yes, it is entirely possible that I was channeling my own experience at trying to get this book out the door when I wrote this, but it's one of my favorite things I've done, and it's just a white room story told in document comments as you turn pages in the book. Um, I think that might really be the key uh, to making footnotes um a structure that can work for you rather than um, a, an element of structure that readers might skip over, you know, you risk them not not really giving them the attention they deserve, is when the footnotes are, like in Howard's story, they are the story. So it's not the the main body of the text. Uh, that's, that's almost the footnote in a way. And so what you're really reading for is the information that's in the footnotes or the little comment bobbles off to the side. Um, and so I think that if your story can work in that way, footnotes are definitely a benefit for you there. I think they can also, in addition to that, that they can also really um, enrich, make the world feel larger. Uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell has wonderful copious footnotes that that really expand on, on the sense of this being a, an actual magic system that is well-rooted, and it gives all of this additional information that I found deeply enriching. My understanding is they totally skipped them in the audiobook, um, which mm-hmm. is tragedy, since for me, much of the joy of that novel was the footnotes. The The other example that I can think of in terms of giving a sense of, um, no, 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 but this is real, is uh, the Jane Austen Mysteries by Stephanie Barron. The, the frame, so these books incorporate two things. One, they have a frame story, which is that uh, they have found Jane Austen's missing uh, diaries. And um, in the real world, her sister, Cassandra, excised portions of her letters and burned some of them. And it turns out, when you read these mysteries, uh, her, her supposed diaries, that it is because she was doing uh, spy work for the uh, for the crown and and also solving murders. And the author, the actual author of the book, is pretending to be the editor of the book, and so has put in footnotes. And it'll be things like, you can see in this scene where Jane took elements of it and later incorporated it into Pride and Prejudice. And you're like, yeah, absolutely. I totally, wait, no, no, that is the opposite order. (laughs) I love that conceit. uh, And I've seen it in some other stuff, though nothing comes to mind. Uh, The idea that what you're reading is actually an annotated book. Uh, I I suppose that's how um, Princess Bride is written. Yeah. With annotations, I am adapting a pre-existing work and we're all going to play along and pretend that, uh, you know, this, this is this is not my original product, but that I am commenting on it. I desperately, when I read that, I desperately tried to find the original Princess oh, yeah. Bride. <laughs> Same. Did you mail in to get the, the real kissing scene? No, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> yeah, there was a thing that's like, we've cut out the, the kissing scene. 
or Morgan Stern cut it out, but I have written one and you can mail in to get it. And I mailed in and uh, they're like, actually, because of copyright reasons, we're not allowed to give you our version of the kissing scene, um, which was just a delightful real world thing. I actually, my uh, girlfriend in freshman year of college, we met because we had both mailed in to try to get the real kissing scene. Um, which is delightful. Let me, let me ask one more question. Um, how important is it? And I can think of examples that go in either direction. So maybe the answer is it's not, um, how important is it to have a reason for the footnotes? Um, you know, in in the case where we're pretending that these are editor annotations, then clearly there is a reason for the footnotes to exist, but something like squirrel girl, it's the narration is all from Doreen and the footnotes are also from Doreen just making extra jokes. Um, is there some way to help that, that, that an author can look at their work and decide which direction they want to go with their footnotes? I would say that the more important to the story, your footnotes are, it's probably better or more important to have a reason so that your readers are more likely to be like, okay, that's a legitimate reason for having footnotes here. I guess I'll read them. Um, because if you, if you just have the footnotes there, you just run the risk of readers reading them or not. So if they're not integral to the story and they're just funny jokes or they add flavor, maybe you could risk, you know, not having a reason. But I think a frame, especially if your footnotes are really important to the story, that will help um, make them feel like they belong. Yeah. In putting together uh, XDM um, uh, version two, second edition, we, uh, most of the footnotes are just a little bit of enrichment, a little bit of humor, whatever. But some of the footnotes are really important stuff. You know, we talk about the uh, Kisho Tenketsu uh, story form, and the footnote says, um, all the people working on this book are Westerners, and we had to decide whether it was cultural appropriation to include Kisho Tenketsu or cultural erasure to not talk about it. And we decided to err on the side of appropriation because we feel like it's better for you to have this information. Go to the appendix where we link you to better sources. That footnote doesn't tell a joke, but that footnote is very important because it expresses something that we all felt while we were writing about that, uh, that story form. Excellent. Well, we have gone over time because this has been such a fascinating topic. Uh, but Pung, you've got some homework for us. I do. Uh, your homework is to go find and read the short story Stet by Sarah Gailey, which um, it is available online at Fireside Magazine. We'll put the uh, URL in the show notes. Uh, so read uh, Sarah Gailey's story Stet and then take a short story that you like or that you wrote yourself and try adding footnotes to it in a similar way, um, by which I mean try to... Um, add footnotes that either expand the story text that is being told or reveal some kind of a, a twist or new information or a contradiction by burying the real actual story within your footnotes. Footnote. Stet is a Latin word meaning let it stand, used in proofreading to indicate that a previously marked change is to be ignored. I love it. <laughs> it is writing excuses. You are out of excuses. Now go write. This has been Writing Excuses. 
Your hosts for this episode were Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, Pung Shepard, and Howard Taylor. This episode was engineered by Marshall Carr Jr. and mastered by Alex Jackson. The liner notes and transcripts for this episode are available at writingexcuses.com. To learn more about us and to support us, visit patreon.com slash writingexcuses. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.